0: never sleepers I got a question for you if the world was created in only six days then how hard could it be to make a short film in just eight days kid, of course. And on this episode of Ross Never Sleeps, it's back-to-back interviews with winners of Vancouver's Crazy Eights Film Festival. The first film we feature is Woodman as I chat with director Mike Jackson and writer and lead actor Peter New. And from the short film Cypher, I speak with director Lawrence Lalam, writer and actor Jerome Yu, and lead actor Alex Barima. Woodman is a modern and darker spin on the classic Pinocchio Tale, and Cypher is about the L.A. hip-hop scene after the 1992 L.A. riots. A big thank you to Crazy Eights for reaching out to us here in Toronto in hopes to spread the word nationally about this great festival, and we hope to see these films hit the film festival circuit soon. So stick around and enjoy our chats with the Canadians helping define the Canadian film industry on this episode of Ross Never Sleeps on Never Sleeps Network.
1: Pretty sure someone said to dish it out, you must take it. in. Don't know who's teaching this.
0: Oh, but I'm not listening. It's the Woodman of Woodman. Correct. It is indeed. How are you, gentlemen? Very, we well. Very well. How are you? I'm very, very well. Thank you for being a part of this. Incredible festival and being a part of this episode of Ross Never Sleeps. This is my first interview uh, across the country. Wow. Well, we talked to a lot of people that are in Toronto from all over Canada, but I've I, I rarely do these type of phone in interviews, so I'm very happy that such a important Vancouver festival is involving Ross Never Sleeps. And I want to say to you guys, amazing film. I well, watched it. I'm able to consume films that are generally around the twenty minute mark yours is under that yeah Uh, i i love the story but i want to hear about your story the two of you so i'm with mike jackson director and peter new of woodman part of the crazy eights film festival but peter and mike tell me
2: you guys seem to be old friends this is not your first rodeo (laughs) that's correct the very first time we ever worked together we ever collaborated was in a terrible band that we formed the year I graduated from high school, which was 1989. So it's been since then. <laughs> but we've been doing uh, various projects. We were in a
3: sketch comedy troupe together in the 90s, and doing films since like 2000, at least. Yeah. Has it's, your music ever made it into any of your projects? Oh God,
2: no. no it was terrible. No, no. Okay, one song, good. one song that I that I did write made it into a sketch comedy show that Bob Robertson and Linda Cullen did for the Comedy Network back in 02 or so. Uh, a verse of a, a song called Little Ethel Breathalizer managed to make it into a sketch, uh, but because it was terrible. so <laughs> But that's the only time, I think.
0: So, what are some of the film projects or just projects that kind of led you to the Crazy 8s Film Festival? What speaks to you as Vancouverians, Vancouverites? I'm not sure what the word is. Crazy 8s Film Festival seems to be a very West Coast, you know, Vancouver thing. I am am not privy to it until you guys contacted us. You know, I'm a Toronto... Boy, so TIFF is is the ultimate. I, I, I thought TIFF was the only thing that Canada ever needed. Why does Crazy 8's Film Festival appeal to you,
3: and why do it year after year after year? Uh, you, you can only do it once. The people who run the competition do it year after year, but uh, we can only participate one
2: time. Well, a director can only participate one time. Oh, that's a, true. a writer can can write more than one, and uh, as an actor, this is my third one. But, but I don't know if I would want to go back to it year after year. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's pretty intense. Yeah, I don't mind doing it every few years, but but uh, but
3: oh, Vancouver has a really thriving and vibrant independent film community. And this is a uh, – Crazy Eights is just a fantastic time to get out there. And it brings in amazing resources that you can't normally bring together. And uh, you can make something really special and uh, share it with people in
0: the community. Yeah, t- Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Because Crazy Eights gets its name from being an eight-day from start to end completing an entire short film. hmm Which seems to me – Crazy. There's a reason why we do podcasts <laughs> because it happens with a lot less headaches and we can get content produced pretty simply and, and quickly and, and stay current. With eight days, it doesn't seem like you have much time to cast, let alone write, to think of an idea, to combine the right people, for everybody to be on board, for somebody not to get sick, for someone's family member not to be needing them for something. Ultimately, I, I just don't understand how you would want to. It almost seems like a little bit of
2: of torture. <laughs> well, it is. Uh, it's eight days of production, so we want to be you know clear about that. It's three days of shooting and five days of post. We pitched the idea on video back in November and we were among more than 200 people video pitching and they narrowed that down to, I'm not sure how many, but but 40 or something. And from there we were, we had to write a script and got selected as part of the top 13 and uh, refined the script and got picked as the top six teams that had to go ahead and make the film. So when we were announced as top six was around January 9th or 10th. So we had a script on that day and we from there then had to go through casting and pre production. But even that is a very fast turnaround. Mm-hmm. So it's not quite as crazy as you know having to having to write it on day one and having to hand it in on day eight. But it uh the the production days are still maddeningly busy. Yeah. But that said, Peter
3: and I used to do 48 hour film competitions where you literally had to write it. It was from like the you had to come up with the idea, write it, film it, edit it and deliver it in 48 hours.
2: The scale of Crazy Eights is just that much bigger that you're accomplishing more. It's sort of like having a job where you're used to making a certain amount of money and you just feel like you never can quite pay your rent and you never can quite buy the right groceries or buy the nice car. Then you get a better job and you think, that's it. I'm going to have all the money that I need. And then you buy the nicer car and finer groceries and a bigger apartment and you still feel like, oh, crap, I can't quite afford all of this. So it's that model.
0: Is there a sense of relief, though, that you get almost instantly? Because when you're working in a larger production that takes maybe a year or even two, and to see something come from a script to fruition, you know, I can't imagine what the relief is like for like a one or two year production, let alone something that takes eight. Is it like a sneeze when they say it's like one eighth of an orgasm? Or is it the same kind of relief?
3: Well, I'd say it's satisfaction, not relief. It's not like it's torture and we were miserable making it. This is stuff we do because we love it. Right. Uh, But it is very satisfying and rewarding to have a finished product after that short period of time, especially one that seems to have uh, come out quite well. So I want to know more about the kind of process of the
0: film and the festival and kind of the resources that are made available to you. Uh, you have incredible resources, to be honest, what from what I hear, uh, to be able to get a crew, food, lighting, equipment for eight days, editing uh, for under $1,000. I need to know more about the resources that Crazy 8s provides you, what attracts you to understanding that you can take a script and produce it in eight days given that the festival kind of helps you as much as they can which also therefore helps vancouver helps the filmmakers in canada put themselves on the
3: map we had fantastic producers who did so so much work to bring all the resources together yeah,
2: Roz young uh, rory tucker and Avi uh, abby abby glanzer
3: uh, and they did so much work to pull things together. It's actually very hard to get crews and resources in Vancouver right now because the American productions are just sucking up everything right now. Uh, but yeah, but Crazy 8s gets us camera packages and promotion and like there's... God, I mean, the list of sponsors is like 160 companies or and individuals, yeah, and something like that. casting people, and like the list is so long. I'm I'm afraid to even start because you can't list everybody. No, they they
2: did list everybody at the gala, and that, and that took you know 20 minutes.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I I definitely want to know more about uh, the the Crazy Eights resources. So you're working, you are writers of the film, and you're producing the film. You're acting in the film. You're directing in the film. So how much of the festival is kind of lent to you how many people are joining your crew once your film is selected or your script is selected
3: well the the, the festival didn't lend us anybody crazy eights didn't give us any people we had to to put people together but we had uh, almost a hundred people working on our film
2: yeah wow uh, you know people people are very interested in coming together and volunteering you know you you ask for favors uh in a lot of cases from people like uh people that you know from working like our our excellent DOP Naeem Sutherland comes he he brings his team together, you know. Uh yeah, he brought festival, our, our fantastic production designer. It, uh the festival too. does provide uh you know, as we were mentioning, it does provide sponsorship. One of the sponsorships that we got was from casting director Maureen Webb locally. So she uh, set up a casting session with us and brought actors into the casting, you know, and then actors come in and are willing to volunteer their time to come in and, and audition and be cast, you know. So people do, people are sort of brought in in the standard way that a production would bring people in, only they're sponsoring and volunteering. Because it's a, it is exciting to be a part of it. It's fun to be a part of.
0: In a film that would maybe take ideally more than eight days to produce what ultimately are you looking to maybe cut corner wise how how do you know you're going to be able to like when you think of an idea when you're like you think oh well it's not going to be able to shoot that or you know
2: why we might risk going over more footage than we can edit in time you have to plan for that the same way you would plan for it if you had a budget i mean ultimately any film is working with a set budget which allows them to have a, a certain amount of time You know, as a as writers, if you're looking at a budget of a certain amount, you know you're not going to be able to put in a whole bunch of explosions and you know you're not going to be able to shoot on exotic locations because transporting a crew to an exotic location and blowing something up costs a lot of money. So you know that you're going to have to find a different solution in the script to get around that. If somehow your script ends up going to production with that stuff in it, then it falls to production to say, well, how can we make this false creek just outside of vancouver here how do we make that look like the exotic tropical isles and then we have this explosion is there a way that we can do that explosion that is cheaper or that you know is a visual effect that is easy and doesn't look terrible you know and so you're you're, every department at every stage of the way is constantly sort of looking for that in, in any production is looking at how to mitigate you know how to accomplish something without blowing the budget on it at every stage, on every production. So it doesn't really feel altogether different. You're just looking at a different set of parameters. You're saying, okay, well, we know we only have three shoot days, so how long is it going to take us to shoot this particular gag? And part of the benefit of writing it and directing it uh, between us is is that we're able to have that conversation at the script level. So Mm -hmm. we're able to look at it and say... And my tendency as a writer is to say, let's make it as big and expensive-looking as possible. And Mike's tendency as a director and editor is to say, let's find a different solution. (laughs) So that kind of is a conversation that we have at the script stage so that we're already setting ourselves up for production by the time the script is wrapped. Though that that said, we pulled out all the
3: stops on Woodman. Of we course. did so many things in it that we thought were just barely possible in the time and financial constraints. Yeah. Uh, and thankfully we managed to pull them all off.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You'll have to pardon my amazement because <laughs> not the, at
2: all. We're flattered by it.
0: <laughs> well I, I have to say I, I this is something I could never do. it, it I always think of Mozart Composing a great score, and it's just all in his head, and he's able to put it onto paper, just like you are to this film. So when I watch your film, it's it's hard for me to believe it was made in such a short time. There's interesting effects cool. and, and cuts. Well, that I mean, I I hope that's flattery, and and it is, oh, it absolutely, is. yeah. But as a director. Uh, Mike, I, I need mm-hmm. you to inform me about th- this composition. Are you able to, to like Mozart, not to, to, Connect you directly but you know are you able to compose this in your mind and and put it on paper right away are you forced to push ahead sometimes and hope you can clean anything up in post-production i know you guys talk about planning but sometimes things just don't go to plan
3: i storyboard films that i do uh, quite elaborately and really work out my shot flow in advance so you can kind of watch the film on paper before we go to camera There was a scene in the film that I had a very specific shooting plan for and when the time came we had no time and there were 8 million civilians running around in the place that we were planning on shooting and it just wasn't going to work so I came up with something on the fly that would do the same things emotionally. It ended up being better than what I originally planned for So, uh, so that happens the the effects are are really great and
0: the the Costume is really interesting and the makeup and it it doesn't feel like this movie was made in eight days. So I really enjoyed it because let's let's talk about the Pinocchio-esque story of Woodman. And this is why I really enjoyed it. It's a classic with quite the interesting twist. It's the approach of the story of Pinocchio, but a very modern and mature spin. Uh, what was it like becoming the character, Peter?
2: It was fascinating in a certain sense the character comes out of and it comes from an idea that I had a long time ago uh, it comes out of the notion of, of feeling stuck in your life and I think we've all had that experience where we just feel like you know we're hitting a glass ceiling we don't know where to turn what choices to make to help us advance ourselves we, we feel stuck in this rut and to me like for whatever reason I just associated that with with feeling wooden you know it felt like a really sort of still structure. But yet, would having an opportunity for growth as well. So, just as a metaphor, like that's to to make myself a wooden man in a piece of writing felt natural. And then by that extension, you just kind of think, well, what other literary works or you know cinematic works have there been that have a wooden character, which of course leads you directly to Pinocchio. So Pinocchio wasn't really the first access point to the material for me. It just became a natural landing place. In a sense, it kind of comes from my head. And then you start working with the material, and Mike helped me kind of figure out how you know how to make the online portion of it function. But then on the day when you're sitting in the makeup chair, and I was in makeup for three and a half hours every day. Holy just getting, smokes! Getting that stuff put on, there's a there's a, a literal transformation that takes place. You know, I'm just dopey me arriving at work at five thirty in the morning with a cup of coffee in my hand, blearily looking around and trying to be. Witty, but mumbling because I'm not awake. And uh, by the time that three and a half hours has gone by, and all of the prosthetic applications have happened, and the, the detailing and the painting has happened on my hands and on my face, you kind of come around the corner into the bathroom and and see yourself in the mirror, and you and, and my whole body just kind of inhabits it. You just kind of become this creature, and and part of it is you know the prosthetics I found really helpful. I had prosthetic cheeks. Obviously a prosthetic nose. I had a prosthetic chin that, that went into my mouth. And all of that really limits what you can do with your, with your motion. And, and so it really helped me to feel that sense of wood that I first envisioned when I first imagined this character. Okay. So it, it all kind of comes full circle. Yeah.
3: At, at the same time, it was uh, one of the things that I've always liked. Peter is probably best known for doing comedic work, but I've always loved his dramatic work, which not enough people get to see, in my opinion. But uh, his eyes communicate a lot. And so that was the nice thing, that even though Peter was buried under all this makeup, uh, his eyes really tell his character's story.
0: When working with a story like Pinocchio, was it hard to keep the subject matter mature while trying to keep the innocence of its playful origins
2: I came across the notion that to use Pinocchio as a, as a basis, you have to try and figure out where does my story deviate from the fairy tale? You kind of find this point at which the story deviates. And for me, that is the moment of, of Geppetto's death. You have a character then who, in the fairy tale, denies that death, uh, saves Geppetto's life, and... Becomes real. And I just sort of said to myself, well, if the first part of the story is true, but then the character goes into denial at this moment, let's see what really happened instead. And so the toy maker dies and the character grows up. And so because you're immediately dealing with a character who has grown up, I don't know, you just you just are dealing with with yourself and you can only really write about yourself anyway. So.
0: And that's very true as an actor who writes almost for themselves, especially in this case where you and Mike are working together on developing this character. And especially because you have all this aesthetic work done to you, it seems like the story and and what drives it is very much a part of you. And you could see that in the film. Your your character is very believable for the most non-believable looking character I've seen in a long time.
2: (laughs) That's good. (laughs) Thank you. We had a story that when we were writing it, we kept getting distracted by a different narrative. Do you remember what that was? Was it like Beauty and the Beast or something? We kept kind of going into like a different fairy tale for a little while. I don't remember. I'm sorry. No, I can't Mm. remember. I remember sitting there and going, no, that's that's not Pinocchio anymore. That's, Mm. you know, this other fairy tale. No, oh, well, yeah, might have been Beauty and the Beast. Might yeah. have been Beauty and the Beast, but that—that it, it, that was the biggest challenge. I, I remember. I don't. It's funny that I don't remember what the other story was, but I remember that being the biggest challenge. Was just trying to keep the narrative around the one uh, fairy tale because we kept wanting to deviate onto another one.
0: Well, I mean, as familiar as we are with Disney versions of these stories, you know, their origins are usually a little darker or just Mm -hmm. deeper in in context. So it's nice to have a modern idea of technology involved with a character who has insecurities, you know, and Mm -hmm. it's very relatable as humans, let alone somebody who's, basically a boy of wood or a man of wood in this case (laughs) yeah so i like how relatable it is it tells many stories and i think that's what a good film does especially in a short period of time do you guys generally aim to work in the short film range you prefer
3: long form what's next for you guys well we've been wanting to do uh, a feature for a long time yeah Uh, we've got a few
2: scripts kicking around too that that are sort of all yeah. At various stages of closeness to being ready to shoot. My, my favorite is one where uh, Peter plays a scientist who invents a time machine. Uh, and my favorite is one where I have a character who has a skin tag removed from his neck and it gets meshed up with some uh, toxic waste and grows to the size of a man and starts killing people using his own DNA.
0: Love it. <laughs> I'd, see, I'd watch that. They're both really funny. So what's the next for Woodman? Say that for for whatever reason you don't get picked as a winner. What what do you do with Woodman? Do you, you toss it? Do you try to work on it
3: some more? Do you well, try to getting make it to make better? Them. The, the, the six finalists, are, we are the winners. All, all six teams won out of 200 and something applications that we got to make our films. Yeah. Uh, but we're going to be uh, obviously uh, pushing it uh, quite heavily on the festival circuit, get it out there, get people to see it.
2: You know, I, I'm toying with the notion of, I mean, we were trying we were trying to make a 10-minute film. We ended up making a 16-minute film, and, and I still look at it and think well, there's more room to explore. So I I keep wondering if there is a feature version of it somewhere in my head that I that I can dig at and, and pull out. So that may be on the table too at some point, but we'll see.
3: What do the
0: winners get? Is there a prize? Is there? We, we got uh, to
3: make the movie. You, yeah, you get a
2: film. <laughs> the, the prizes we have, a you movie. get a movie,
0: <laughs> right? And that's ultimately
3: the the exposure that's going to help you guys make more films. We hope well, so. hopefully, but I mean, we we make films because we love making films, and it's hard to get the resources to make them these days. So that is a fantastic prize to be able to get all this support from Paul Armstrong and all the Crazy Eights producers, and, right. and get and, to make and like, the film.
2: And like Mike said earlier, you know, you have more than a hundred people come together to help you make your movie, and and each of those six films is the same. You know, I don't think a single one of those movies got made with fewer than a hundred people. So. You know, this huge that that many people are, are, are motivated to, to make these six movies in this short period of time. Oh, you
0: mentioned, I believe that was um, Mike who said about resources in basically Canada and your film industry out in Vancouver are not necessarily as available. So where does Canada stand in the filmmaking industries with our friends to the south in LA so close to you guys? Is this an opportunity to show off Canada as a market for them, to them? How do we continue these types of festivals in and around Canada to make sure that we become not only a separate entity from the United States, but we become more of an available resource, maybe for them, maybe for other international filmmakers. What does that mean to you guys being Canadian filmmakers?
2: Well, I, I think Vancouver is fairly well known to L.A. As a, as a resource. There are a lot of studios here, lots of very talented crews and talented actors here. You know, L.A. comes here all the time. Right now it's pilot season and a, and a lot are being shot here. So it's not that they're unaware of Canadians as filmmakers. I think it helps us to connect in both directions, frankly. It helps us to connect to L.A. and to to show producers there that, you know, there are interesting stories coming out of Canada. But I think it also helps us connect to Toronto. Because as you said very early in the broadcast, you didn't know anything besides TIFF. You know, which to me says we're not really communicating east and west because there is a huge and vibrant independent film community coming out of Vancouver and very little money coming back from Toronto where most of the money is. So hopefully this... It helps us to connect that way as well.
0: It's funny because I know a lot of actors here in Toronto looking for work, and I know a lot of filmmakers in Vancouver looking to produce films with a lack of actors. Do you guys know uh, or, or can talk about this a bit? How Toronto almost is oversaturated with actors, where Vancouver is almost oversaturated with filmmakers.
2: It hasn't been my experience of Vancouver. I feel like there's always there's always actors here looking for work. I feel feel like if there are filmmakers in vancouver who can't find actors it means that they're not looking hard enough there's a ton of actors here
0: i mean that um toronto doesn't maybe have as enough film productions happening here to fill the need for as many that that are here versus there there is quite a few in in vancouver but there's also just as many films and projects being produced because of the vicinity of the west coast and being so close to la
2: I think really the difference maybe is is less in terms of how many of filmmakers and how many actors and and whatever I I think the difference here is that filmmakers and actors talk to each other mm-hmm. you know there is a a strong independent community of filmmakers including actors who all want to work together to make things happen and that's why we end up with these festivals like the 48 hour film festival from years ago and and crazy eights and just people making independent projects in general i'm i'm working on a on an independent project on wednesday i'm shooting something else which is just a bunch of people getting together and wanting to make something happen uh so i i feel like there's a lot of just get together and make it happen and not compete and i think maybe toronto is a more competitive environment so maybe people are less willing to kind of share their ideas ar- around or something i don't really know i haven't spent that much time in toronto i've been there obviously <laughs> but
0: uh, so what advice would you give to filmmakers, whether they're in Canada, whether they're in Vancouver and Toronto, looking to make films with little or, you know, not as many resources as we would once believe were available?
2: I think the, the only real advice directed towards that would be to, to be the train, as my friends Maddie and Mikey Granger like to put it. Be the train. Start making your project, get your project going, and people will start to come on board because they want to be involved. People want to get something done. Every department wants to be able to look up on the screen and point at it and say, look at that aspect of that i did that you know as an actor i like to be able to say look at me look what i'm doing and as a writer i like to be able to see look at my script and as a director mike likes to be able to say look at my film and as makeup artists uh, brendan likes to be able to look at me and as this pinocchio character and say look at my makeup everybody likes to be able to look at what they did on the screen at the end of the day so people want to come on board if you just get moving and get it going and start working with your friends and putting stuff together just keep working like we're we're, we're artists right it's it's all about making a thing happen. Mm-hmm. It's not about sitting around and whining and hoping to get hired and hoping for the phone to ring. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to do it. And then people will come with you.
0: Yep. you got to plant those proverbial seeds. Exactly, yeah. Well, I want to thank director Mike Jackson and writer Peter New from the Crazy Eights Film Festival winners for their film, Woodman... It is a very Pinocchio-esque modern tale of man-seeking friend on the interwebs, and quite an interesting tale is spun once uh, hmm. Woodman's insecurities are once overcome. So I want to thank, thank Peter, and I want to thank Mike for coming on to Ross Never Sleeps, all the way from Vancouver. Good luck to your film and the future film festivals you will be a part of.
2: Thank you very much for having us. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank
0: you. All right, guys. Thank you for tuning in to our part one of the Crazy Eights Film Festival. Up next, the Film Cipher. Hey guys, Alex Ross here. I just wanted to take this opportunity between interviews to say thank you to all our listeners and for everybody for tuning into RNS and to NeverSleepsNetwork.com every day, every week, and of course, engaging with us on social media. We have a great lineup of shows for you this week, including an all new Speech Bubble podcast, our comic book podcast with our host, Aaron Broverman, an all new episode this Thursday where Aaron went to the Chorus Entertainment Studios to chat with the Edge 102.1's Fearless Fred Kennedy about Fred's comic book, The Fourth Planet. So be sure to check out this Thursday an all new episode of Speech Bubble Podcasts and all new podcasts every week on Neversleeps Network.com. And now back to our second half of Ross Never Sleeps from the Crazy Eights Film Festival winners from the film Cipher. All right. I want to welcome the director, writer and actors from Crazy Eight Film Festival Cypher on our second half of this Vancouver, Toronto film chats with Crazy Eight Film Festival uh, winners on the line. Lawrence Lalam, director Jerome Yu, writer and actor and Alex Barima actor of cypher gentlemen thank you for contacting us all the way from vancouver thank you thank for you for having, having us. us thanks for having us ross tell me about uh cypher what it's like now that you've won essentially you and six other films
4: it has been and it still is a crazy experience Crazy Eights was much more of a beneficial experience than I expected. That's great, guys. I'm, I'm interested to know more
0: about where you get the idea for your script, how you know it's going to work in eight days in your production. Right. Um. So the way we got our idea was um,
1: we started with the creative team. I got together, um, Lawrence Salam and uh, Nat stutz who's our producer, one of our producers. And we started brainstorming ideas you know what do we have in common what did we enjoy growing up and we realized that we all loved hip-hop growing up and it was a big part of our childhood so we started digging through um, what sort of hip-hop story or themed story we could tell and uh, I was listening to one of my uh, childhood hip-hop heroes his name is uh, Tiger JK he was born in LA and he is uh basically like hip-hop legend in Korea and his story is uh, growing up in L.A., he grew up during the L.A. riots and he saw the tensions between the African-American community and the Korean-American community. And so he used uh, rap and hip-hop as a way to communicate, communicate and sort of ease tensions and, you know, clear misunderstandings. We thought that was like a really, really interesting idea. And we sort of um, took our concept from there.
0: Your story and your film has a very Spike joint vibe going on, which I really dug. It very much interests me to know why you chose an American city... And basically a time period, because this is essentially before the 2000s. How did you uh, not consider those to be obstacles when considering you only have eight days of production?
4: Well, I mean, for us, we were just really interested in telling a story that was interesting to us. And I think those definitely were seen as obstacles, but at the same time, really fun challenges, especially like being in Vancouver, And it's like, (laughs) you know, like the week before the shoot, it was like snowing. Yeah, it was (laughs) fucking snowing outside and shit. It was snowing outside. I mean, yeah, we were just really drawn to all the elements. The 90s period element, uh, being right after the riots in LA and this very specific conflict, uh, that's not captured a lot in cinema. Um, between the Black community and the Korean community uh, in LA, that was very specific to that area and also time period. Um, so it was really that was what determined like that. That was the setting of the story, and we're just gonna that's our that's our uh, sandbox to work within. You know, the it wasn't that we we were trying to be smart with it. You know, we sh- shoot interiors, really focused on. Uh, production design, really trying to sell that that world and that atmosphere. Um, but also, like, you know, the whole Spike Lee thing. Myself and my my other collaborator, Leonardo Harin, our, our DP, we, in pre-production, we like to look at films that would, not just for, like, references, but also, like, almost as a homage to. Mm. And, and so Spike Lee, you know, the 90s, Hip hop, this being a kind of a, a bit of a, a race film, and uh, you know t- talking about race, it seemed to all really fit in as a way to to pay homage and also to yeah, and, and so that was there was a, some those some of the elements that we were thinking about in crafting this particular story. Your cast, your cast, and and the choices
0: of locations. It seems like it's not easy to do in eight days. How do you get such a large cast with everybody on the same page, you know, with a great director, clearly, who's able to direct everybody accordingly, also decide on all these locations, and you have to make it look like a certain time and place? It was pretty
1: crazy to get this uh, cast together, not going to lie. I really think it was a tough film to pull off, tough story to to tell, there had to be very specific actors for those very specific roles, I feel. And uh shout out to our casting director, Jessica Cameron, for being able to bring in the talent that we needed to see to fill those roles. Like, honestly, somehow, I think we really luck- lucked out because it's such a great ensemble. Uh I started um, reaching out to people because I was fortunate enough to be a part of the writing process, I knew the characters and I started the search way before a bit more of, like, the unknown actors as well or people that are, like, you know, not really acting, but, like... like, Emerging. Yeah, emerging. And somehow we were just, like, hoping that, like, certain people would, like, kill those roles and, like, the people we got, they just happened to... Happened to just kill it. <laughs> yeah, Alex. Uh, yeah,
4: Alex Barima. Alex Barima. <laughs> he just killed it in the audition. He was so sick. I was like, he left the audition. I was like, man, this is the guy. This is uh, this is this is the guy.
1: We knew right from the start. Yeah,
4: and uh, and uh, our DJ Myth OG uh, James Bayless. He was like even before the audition, we just like saw his demo tape, and man. His voice is like sex and gold in your ears. It's it's just, it's just like we, we heard it and like we got to have this guy. Right. We did like the, the cast, the audition process was like a formality. We just like, <laughs> we just wanted him from the start. <laughs> was there ever a
0: point in whether it was casting or, you know, getting to shoot where you're thinking, man, we might not hit a mark. We might not hit that milestone. We might have you know make what we thought was going to happen on this day what were those big obstacles like
4: this is the first time i've really uh done embarked on a film that involved uh a, a large majority of a black cast and I've, I've never really had that experience of working with a lot of black actors in vancouver so i wasn't really sure what the town pool was like in mm-hmm. vancouver to be honest Dude, during the audition process, just seeing all these folks out there uh, here in Vancouver, I was like, oh, there's a lot of talented <laughs> folks out here. Yeah. I've been to K-Town in L.A., I am from
0: Toronto, born and raised, and our Koreatown is thriving. Can you tell us about the Korean connection in Vancouver and even in L.A. as part of your film and what it means to you guys, you know, being part of a nation that prides itself on the multiculturalism and this kind of film festival giving everybody and, and even you saying you're talking about casting black actors and giving this ability to you guys and having a pool that you didn't even know existed. Or or would exist in in the time for your film What what does it mean to you guys to be Korean To be of Asian descent And to produce a film in Vancouver And represent Canada Well for me,
1: um, I guess I'm like uh, I'm the most Korean because I'm the only Korean (laughs) (laughs) In in like the creative uh, department But um, you know for me It was very important for me to Tell this story It meant a lot for me uh, being Korean Because it is the as far as, like, uh, historic points in, you know, um, Korean history in America or in North America, the LA riots was a key point. It was a time where Koreans were still considered, like, the minority's minority, and I think it was a key time where, um, through the riots, the second generation of Koreans in America were starting to rise up and starting to lend their voice to the, um, you know, the misunderstandings and sort of second generation Koreans at first didn't want to uh, be like their parents because their parents were embarrassing to them. They didn't know about American culture. They wanted to avoid getting bullied or like being considered an outcast at any costs, and it was through the LA riots where they finally realized that they have to be a part of the solution, and for me as a Korean to sort of, um, that tells a story that's related to that important cause, um, it brings me great joy, and I'm so happy that we were able to do it with um, not just, like, an Asian, you know, specific, like, sort of, like, point of view, but, like, a diverse, a diverse one.
0: And Vancouver is definitely a hub for Asian talent. Yes, sir. Definitely smaller
1: than L.A. You know, it's Los Angeles. I mean, there's definitely a a way bigger. It's like a pond compared to, like, an ocean out in L.A. And, uh, you know, I must say, though, um, I've been acting for maybe a little less than three years now, and I think I was maybe, like, one of maybe, like, under 100 actors, Asian actors in Vancouver, but I slowly, I'm like slowly seeing that grow. And I think that's amazing to see because I'd love to see more um, Asians basically pursuing the arts, which isn't a
4: traditional sort of supported road. <laughs> is, is there more? I'm curious. Is there, is there like, since you started to now, like, have you seen more the Asian, the Asian talent pool grow? Oh,
1: definitely. I've been seeing uh, more going through uh, schools here, theater schools. I've been Meeting a lot of people at um, community events, and it's just like really good to see Asian actors are coming up. Well, anyway. I mean, yeah, the thing is, like, there's not that many
5: roles, unfortunately, for Asians in Vancouver. Just like there aren't that many specifically black roles in Vancouver either. Mm-hmm. So those pools remain like pretty separate. We have a few shows that really like, you know, um, like Men in the High Castle that, you know, go out. They, have a, they, they look for Asian cast members because of the setting of the show. But uh, as far as most of what comes through here, you know, a lot of the roles are either open or Caucasian. And uh, the open ones, I mean, you know, no one gets priority. No one uh, ethnicity gets priority over another so I think there's even more roles available, probably for specifically Black people, because of the way the film market goes and everything like that. So I'm I've noticed that I've been acting for five plus years in the city, and I've I have noticed that through breakdowns there haven't been that many uh like Asian characters sought out specifically. But I'm hoping that that really changes, and I hope our film helps change that and expose a lot of Asian talent that we have for in all, the in for the all city. Ethnic talent.
0: Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, are you guys old friends? Are the three of you Go way back? You know Like w- what do you guys Know about each other Before getting into This production?
4: I, I uh, My my Previous short Film was uh, it's a, It was like A 1970s Taiwan Rock and roll Film about A rebellious radio DJ Who broadcasted uh, forbidden rock and roll uh, And it's called The Blue Jet And it's based on My dad's story Don't uh, yeah, yeah And uh, when, I, when I was Casting that I met Jerome I was looking for Actors with rhythm it was it was a kind of a weird thing. I don't know if it was was it a weird thing that, nah. that audition process? Because basically, I just made what did I what did I make you do? Like he, he made me sing and <laughs> and um, play air drums. And, <laughs> yeah. So so I was like, wow, Jerome has, this kid has a lot of rhythm. And uh, <laughs> I, well, God. I made sure everyone that I casted in that film had a lot of rhythm. But uh, and similar to this film, we mm-hmm. made people rap <laughs> yeah. as a part of the auditioning process. <laughs> But um, so I I knew Jerome from my previous short film, Alex uh, Alex Barima. We met in the casting sessions. I, I just showed up one day. <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah no it was uh, i didn't know any anybody
5: involved in this project before i started working on it
4: but but it should be it should be said though like yeah. jerome was a guy who's like let's do something let's 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 like do something cool. <laughs> yeah let's, let's do something for crazy eights and i was like i don't know I, uh, I, I was like really hesitant i was like oh i gotta make a film in eight days like shoot in three days i just like i, I didn't think i honestly didn't had a lot of doubts if it was even possible to make uh, a really solid film in eight days, or like and not lose your mind, absolutely. <laughs> but I mean, I, I was uh, I was I surprised myself and a lot of the folks that other teams on the crazy. It's really uh, really impressed me. So yeah. it is it is absolutely possible. Yeah, it's a special festival for sure
0: when you were considering the festival at first, what were some of the s- standout past projects or, or post- previous winners or past participants that kind of paved the way for you guys?
1: Oh, I've, I've been to two crazy eights events and um, maybe it's cause like, it's been more recent that these films stand out to me, but um, I love you so much. It's killing them mm. is a film from last year. That's done by director uh, Joel McCarthy and um, his producer on that film, Natch Destimeta was our producer for our film this year. Pro- producer and co-writer. Co-writer. Sorry, yeah. And, um, yeah, maybe it was, like, that film that inspired me to reach out to Natch. I mean, I've uh, gotten to know him maybe, like, a few months before... Uh, this round, of crazy it started, but I knew he was a talented guy. He worked on "I Love You So Much, It's Killing Them," yeah, and, and he, got a,
4: he was, won Story Hive as well. Yeah, yeah. Story Hive. And, and, and "I Love You So Much, It's Killing Them" is like it's like a crazy, it's like a it's like a black comedy, dark yeah, yeah, comedy yeah. sort of about like a a female accountant who like secretly is a is a serial killer, but her like, hobby
1: is killing people. Yeah. and she loves
4: that, and then she and like <laughs> falls in love with this guy and starts to like kill people to get this guy things. Yeah, (laughs) like,
1: basically like, she starts, like, killing out of affection for him because she wants to, like, shower him with gifts, like, watches, like, Girl Scout cookies. Like, there's one, like, Evil, evil, dirty scene where like she like points an arrow at a little adorable Girl
0: Scout girl. <laughs> and it's hilarious though. It's, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> Guys, I want to talk about your film now. I, I want to know why a story about hip hop culture in LA is this a way to connect with LA and maybe hopes to gain some interest in the US?
5: That's uh, always
1: nice. heard. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that was like a uh, intention of um, seeking out connections in LA making the film I think it was more so just um taking the context of like the LA riots that happened and just relating that to swiveling that into what we enjoy growing up which is hip-hop and then we sort of made this sort of uh rite of passage um coming of age story of this Korean boy that wants to do what is considered um foreign to his culture which is hip-hop um you know which is kind of like it was considered a black thing right
4: Also, um, there's that for sure. Like, it definitely came from the setting and story. But, I mean, the idea of doing. A hip hop film in L.A. was just so juicy, yeah. you know. Like there's, there was, there's been the Get Down, and yeah. and that's in in New York, and there's uh, you know Eight Mile, and that was, that was in Detroit, and I mean I'm like straight like, out of Compton, yeah, straight yeah, out straight of Compton, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so like, yeah, we're not
5: we're not in those films. So. <laughs> no, but, if we but, want to <laughs> tell these stories, you know, but <laughs> like, but the idea I like it just to be in it, it just seems
4: so perfect that you know like. It, a film that is about hip hop that is sort of out of LA but within these two communities you know K-Town in LA it just seemed like a perfect setting but but to, to that extent it's, there's something about the west coast rap scene also that was something in the research process that we discovered uh, was about the sort of these underground hip hop scenes like Project Blowed, which not too many people will know about uh, may know about but it's like one of uh it's it's basically one of the many uh underground la hip-hop scenes where a lot of uh and the names are escaping me but there was like a lot of big guys that came to that came through there like snoop Dogg, i believe ice cube and uh not just but like they had the dj from jurassic five jurassic five dj uh was like one of the djs there and he was like one of the only white djs there um it started like i think either in the late 80s, in the 90s. I could be getting this wrong. And we read a book about it called uh, Blowing Up, Rap Dreams in South Central. It's by this U of T sociologist, uh, Ju, Young Lee, Ju Young Lee, who used to be a pop and locker, actually. And he he went there for maybe five or ten years in the 2000s and just started documenting it. And he wrote about how like these communities act as not only a creative outlet, But an alternative lifestyle to youth who grew up, who grow up around gang violence, who grew up in gangland. And basically uh, talking to some people who went there, they said how this community helped save lives by by providing that creative mentorship, by providing that. Alternative identity, like providing mentorship, even people in gangs were encouraged to leave the gang life to go pursue if they if they felt like. Uh, if someone in a gang, we were reading in this book. If, if someone in a gang, and if there's like a OG or a senior gangster, uh, Stop. Stop. <laughs> senior, 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 gangster. senior level gangster <laughs> who uh, you know saw a lot of talent in, um, one, in of one of the members, they would encourage them to leave because that way they could, if they ever would to were to blow up and become famous, they would they could represent their neighborhood and show. This, uh, someone who had come from this background and someone who had made it big. So it, that for us was, a, for, for, for myself and for the, uh, these, uh, writing, it, it was like a really interesting world. And, and I'm not sure if our film really captures that world and gives it justice. I mean, we try our best, but it's really an incredible community there that, and, and shout out to, to Project Bloat, uh, what they do out there is a pretty cool thing.
0: And I want to know if you're going to now, that you're talking about representation, representing your, your culture and, you know, the culture. Are you planning on taking this film to Korea? A lot of people don't know in the West that, you know, the Korean film industry is a booming one. And actually, a lot of American films are just redone ideas from Korean films.
1: Uh, we would love to take this to Korea. We'd love to um, bring it to Korean film festivals or um, not just Korea, but like, everywhere honestly yeah. <laughs> asia like just like korea
4: korea in particular korea
1: sure. it is yes it, it is busan. true um yeah busan um international film festival we'd love to bring it there we're coming to you busan we're Yo, coming to you we're going in
5: the train
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, about your hip hop Lyrics that are used throughout the film. Did you consider local writers, local hip hop artists, to work with you guys to write some of that? Did you guys write it all yourselves?
4: We actually were fortunate enough to know uh, a fella named Copacetic, and he is a battle rapper. He is uh, he's a writer for hip hop Vancouver. He also runs the hip the rap battle subreddit, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and Copacetic, uh, fortunately, he's kind of a, he's in that world, but he also. really he's an actor and he wanted to he'd always like wanted to be or he he, he works in film he works in film and he wanted to he was really hoping to bring those two things together one day, and this was just like that opportunity. So it was really great to work with him. He worked with us in writing a lot of the the, the, raps, the raps, the the yeah the lyrics for the raps. All, sometimes we'd like we'd try to make and and I mean we all kind of contributed, and uh, we he really helped in our in our script. We would make a note, be like, "Cope, can you help rhymify, rhymify this? Rhymify <laughs> Please it. rhymify this. We Please need to make it dope. <laughs> yeah, we need we need a, we need a cope pass.
5: We yeah, need no, a, he, a he did really." good like that was the thing for me when I first read, read the audition I my audition was just rapping and if the raps had been bad, I couldn't have made them sound good. You know what I mean? So um, I, I think that was probably my favorite part of the writing for sure—the way the raps came together and told the told the story of each character. And it's not—it's not as easy as it looks. You know, like he has to write raps for two guys with completely different styles and everything, and he managed to do that really well. So that was—we uh, were fortunate to have him. Very fortunate.
4: Yeah, and he also—he also coached uh, Jerome and Alex uh, in in the rehearsals, but also. Like, like uh, I, I gotta give a shout out to these guys, Alex and Jerome. They really worked that. They really worked the rap scene. I can only take so much credit for that. The the fi- the climax and the the final scene, but uh, those guys really. Uh, I I, I want to give a lot of credit to these guys for really bringing that scene to life and uh, making it sound dope. Well, thank you, as hell. thanks, thanks, Lawrence. <laughs> So what do you want Canadian audiences to
0: take away from the film? You guys are repping Vancouver, L.A., Koreatown, you know, but really you guys are Canadian, Canadian filmmakers in a very – West Coast Canadian Festival, it's it's a festival that I actually had never heard of until I was contacted by you guys to promote this film on our podcast network, which I'm thrilled because I'm all about making Canada as small as possible, especially in the entertainment district. So what does it mean to you guys as Canadian filmmakers? You have a voice now that is extending internationally, but it's rooted in Canada. What does it mean to Canadian audiences? What do you want them to walk away with?
4: I just want to say one quick thing before we answer that, before we answer that question with the crazy aids uh, film fest uh, the crazy AIDS film society is it's it's kind of like a film festival but it's more so like uh, it's more so a contest you know big shout out to them they really um, every they do this every year and they really uh, find these amazing up and coming Filmmakers and teams and help support them in developing these projects. I don't know if it's it's really like a film festival. It's, yeah, yeah, it's 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 more of like a competition, but it's I mean, it's the whole event. The gala yeah, yeah, is yeah. like it's almost like Oscar worthy. It's like they make a big <laughs> thing. We have been spoiled. I have been spoiled. Paul Armstrong and the, the whole Crazy Eights team, uh, Kristen Stilling, uh, Stephanie Harbour and all those guys. They like really... Throw all the support and pretty much the support of the Vancouver film industry behind your back, and you really feel the win and momentum. The entire community, really. Yeah, yeah. And then just sorry, just, and just sorry. I just wanted to clarify that. And and to your second question about what we want to say to like maybe Canadian filmmakers, I, actually, I'm reminded by something that another uh, Canadian filmmaker whom I really respect. Uh, said uh, once at my school, I, I went to Emily Carr, and he's a Emily Carr alumni. Uh, Kevin Funk, who did uh, De- Hello Destroyer, who was a Canada top ten, and he was at TIFF. He, uh, he in Hello Destroyer was like a a very a Canadian film. Like you could, one can say critiquing institu- institutionalized violence within like the hockey community. Mm-hmm. Um, and when, at one time at my school, he basically told us, myself and these other young filmmakers, he's like. Be bold and don't be afraid to tell bold stories. And I think even though this film is... I mean, we're, we're Canadian and we're technically Canadian filmmakers and this film is, is in, in L.A., the story still very much connects to us. I mean, the story of hip-hop. I think as long as you tell a story that really resonates with you, whether it be about something that is within your own country, or something that resonates with you um, that is in a totally different country or a different community, if you really immerse yourself in that world, and if you really bring those characters to life and bring that, that world to life, I, I, feel, I feel like we can really be really proud of those stories. Mm-hmm. And they will be Canadian because we are from Canadian filmmakers, but I don't think In my opinion, we should be afraid to have geographic boundaries uh, limit us.
0: But, but we but we do, you know what I mean? Like, ultimately, it's not easy for you guys to necessarily go to Busan and promote your film. You know, you had to have started here in Canada and the opportunity to do it at the Crazy Eights Film Festival, and I totally don't want to disregard what you're saying, and I get it, you know. The world is much smaller with the power of the internet. Getting a film, uh, you know, on the internet and, and getting it viral is seemingly easier than it has been in previous times. But at the same time, you're now fighting against that much more content. You're competing with so many more films on an international market. How do you represent Canada to make sure that you can then penetrate the international market? Well, yeah,
5: I think um, to tie back into what Lawrence was saying earlier about Crazy it's like Crazy Eights is very, very cool because I didn't know much about Crazy Eights before doing this project and I really underestimated the impact that it would have and I underestimated its place in the local film industry. But once you get the going because we got to remember like 216 teams applied for this contest and only six made it to the end so it was a very very long process for these guys I only come in at the very end as an actor and I'm you know I'm just here to do a job but when you're when you're working and you're doing the shoot you come to realize that there's a lot a lot on the line here and you know nobody's getting paid uh for this everybody's just there because they want to be there so and this is like lauren said it's a freaking boot camp and when you come out of it and when the event is over and you see all these films all the films are canadian you know what i mean and like we had the Undertaker's son that was taking place in the old west we had things taking place you know in different parts of canada different parts of america the truth is that this this content is a hundred percent Canadian and everyone involved is Canadian. It's Canadian content and it's just proving to the world that like we have, The means, and we have the talent to tell any story. It doesn't matter because in Canada, we have the potential to be a major player in the film industry. Like our film industry is nothing to sneeze at. And I think
0: that Crazy 8 reinforces that in a big way. It's so important for you guys to keep fighting the good fight in Canada. And anytime you guys are in Toronto, let us know and we'll promote your ongoings and your upcoming films. I want to thank Lawrence Lamb, Jerome Yu, and Alex Barima from the short film Cypher. Be sure to check it out on local film festivals that are coming to Canada. And I want to thank you guys for putting in all the hard work. I am sure you guys are completely satisfied, if not relieved, that you're able to put this great project behind you and move on to bigger and better things. So a shot of soju to you, gentlemen. I want to say, kamsamnida. Oh, there you go. Oh, oh, there we go, there we go. <laughs> oh. Thanks for having us, Good Alex. luck to you guys. I, I really am I'm glad you guys are, are, are representing Canada. And I like your approach in your film. I, I like how a Canadian filmmakers have the ability to represent so many great nations in one great film what are your guys socials where can people find more information about you uh like i'm on twitter at alex barima uh but
5: i'm not very active unfortunately
1: <laughs> uh but you know hopefully that'll change one day <laughs> yeah I- i'm basically on all the uh social media handles at uh, jerome o y o o Jerome E-O-U you stalk me
4: (laughs) I'm at uh, I I can't even remember my I I use Twitter so little like I I think it's at I think think it's at Lawrence is it Lawrence Lollam are there underscores in there? there's no underscores it's 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 just just your name oh it's (laughs) my my
0: name (laughs) you guys sound like uh, true filmmakers eh? you guys got bigger priorities I I get it don't worry well again congratulations on your incredible film we look forward to hearing more about you guys and your upcoming projects So party hard, sleep tight, and we'll talk to you on the next episode of Ross Never Sleeps. Never Sleeps Network.